0: from Nor to nothing ontological oxymorons i'm your host joel bouchard a graduate student in education at liberty university with me is mr norman gayford a professor of english and philosophy at genesee community college there are moments in life when we experience things that are beyond words maybe we get goosebumps when we're not cold or shed a tear when we aren't happy or sad often in these moments perhaps while viewing a picture of the cosmos or hearing a musical masterpiece we're feeling something that is beyond ourselves, beyond our reason. We're feeling awe. But what is awe? Well, it's something beyond words that we must use words to describe. <laughs> so already, I, I kind of wrote that intro um, while doing some of the research, and there's already some stuff that people from different philosophical camps might might debate. Um, you know, such as saying that... Uh, Awe is something that's beyond our reason, mm-hmm. especially uh, Kant, you know yeah. and as, that was we were talking about it before we started recording. That's kind of the problem that you run into the The deeper you research awe, the more you find that people from different philosophical camps will contradict one another. They don't really come to any sort of mutual consensus about a lot of it. So you have Kant who's saying you know that awe or the sublime is something that's beyond our imagination but that we can reasonably understand and that we need to sort of accommodate that view and then you have others who say no awe is something that's beyond our reason that or our imagination stretches out to understand yeah and you have some people that say awe is you know the highest form of beauty and then you have burke who says well no awe and beauty are mutually exclusive if you have beauty it's like looking at a painting in in a proper light, whereas horror is, you know, complete darkness and, you know, the sublime is complete light. So you can't make out anything around you. You mm-hmm. know, that, all of these sorts of different arguments where. Yeah. It these blends whole, into the aesthetic, it blends into the psychological. Right. right. And, yeah. and then ultimately, um, you have these really kind of big ontological problems about philosophers from different camps trying to come together and figure out what is this thing that mm-hmm. we experience that is um you know, just beyond us. And that seems to be the one kind of connecting factor is that it's beyond us. Yeah. So let's let's start out. What is
1: um? Uh? <laughs> so let's go with the etymology that you and I have, have, have both revisited. And so it the word itself emerges from uh, old Norse and Old English. Uh, 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 Filtered combination uh, which initially meant dread, um, great fear, um, overwhelming terror uh, and and i and I think it's important for us to recognize where it comes from because of course, any concept can be shifted, changed language is organic we've talked about language more than once and and, and that's okay, but I think that language also can trivialize. And so we go from a word that when people were talking about an experience that was beyond them in the sense of being able to immediately articulate it, and we come into the 21st century now where we have wholly trivialized the word in some ways uh, so that it's not a word indicating a grand anything, we just, it all comes trippingly off the tongue whenever something decent happens. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Right. Well, I did this today. Awesome. That's great. No, pretty much not. I mean, I've done it. You know, we've used this word because we just, just start using the word. But if it is indeed this powerful, at least partially beyond us, or beyond us in the, in the sense of easily articulating it. Than to to, than to say something that's awesome, just to snap, oh, there! it it just reduces the power of it. Right. So I've bookended us, right? I just started with the, the the ancient and the fearsome. I mean, terror. Now, we talk about wars on terror and all of, of the, you, you can't have a war on awe,
2: mm-hmm.
1: except unless you use language to dismantle the very feeling
0: right which is (laughs) what we're going to try to do but yeah you're absolutely right so yeah awesome you know that's kind of a i think about you i've I've given you a a ninja turtles cup to drink out of that's awesome awesome yeah so
2: so you know i
0: think that the uh you know the modern equivalent to that is kids saying oh you know that's epic it's epic man (laughs) and again it's that word that's you know you're using it to try to describe something that has in, in unbelievable vastness, but mm-hmm. you're using it in just sort of an off-the-cuff way that doesn't really um, honor that Yeah, it that makes feeling. it
1: safe. Right. It's not that people are using it in an, um, in an inauthentic way, but they're, but they're using it in a way that doesn't, as you say, honor the intensity and the vastness mm-hmm. of, of the implication of the word. Yeah, because
0: a lot of the dictionary definitions that I ran across of awe reverence is part of the description mm-hmm. you know you have to have reverence for a vastness or a greatness that's sort of beyond your you know you know your thoughts so <laughs> so that's part of it um and you you brought up an interesting part with the war on terror and, and that sort of thing because i somebody asked that on uh on facebook recently um i i'm friends with a guy who he likes to ask very just broad philosophical questions and he has a number of followers and you get a lot of interesting conversations happening but that was one of his questions was what is a terrorist and a lot of people responded with the dictionary definition and the thing is if you look at the dictionary definition it's not an etymological one at all um if you break down the word terrorist it's i mean it's essentially somebody who you know Somebody was causing terror. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. It's almost a <laughs> tautological; it's defining itself. Right, by right. Using the word, um, and that's not at all what the dictionary definition says. And so, you're right. The what words mean and how we use them tends to change over time. So, if we look at um, the if we get back to the historical, and yep. we look at it, all, all was very much centered around fear. Do you think that's still? Relevant today, do you think awe still has fear, or do you think other words have taken that place? Do you think horror hmm. is synonymous with what awe was at the, hmm. the beginning of the word or I
1: think there is uh, an element of it uh, that that uh, found its way into um, religious practice um, you know to, to to fear God is a, a phrase or, or Allah or, or is, is, is long time as a phrase in, in various traditions. But I don't think that it means fear as in the sense of uh, uh, tremble because you're going to get stomped on. Although I think there's not element of that there, but I don't think that's the, the primary thing. So, to, to dread or horror or uh, is, is uh, what HP Lovecraft tried to do, I'm going to take way sideways here because it's one of the people that I've studied and written about a lot. Um, and, and Lovecraft was trying to work on a, a kind of 20th century return to the idea of true horror, which is to be overwhelmed by the vastness and the ancientness of things. Mm-hmm. Okay, so whether we go to the religious and say God or we go to this, uh, the, the, sec, uh, the secular and, and, and talk about God's lowercase or whatever we do, if we look at the sky and we're on a June night or indeed a winter night and we're under the stars and we say, this is grand, this is huge, I'm tiny. But I still think it is amazing. You have that combination of, of, of the dread, the realization in some sense of what a speck of dust we are. The pale blue dot, is, as Carl Sagan called it. And yet how incredible it is that as a planet, we, as a planet, we are not awesome in the scheme of the universe. Yeah, uh, But in the sense of trying to appreciate the universe for those moments when we do, at the same time as surviving, that's where I think the, the real awesome, the real combination of dread um, and appreciation, a humble appreciation of the vastness of things.
0: Yeah, and L- Lovecraft is really... <laughs> he's amazing at that sort of thing. Like mm-hmm. He And if nobody's read him you should because it doesn't require a huge investment in time lovecraft can do in less than one page he can make you feel that sort of awesome dread Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um very well practiced in that sort of writing and uh, you know i but what did he do what he
1: was doing it because i think this is a good touchstone for us to talk about this he purposely crafted worked at not being um overly specific Mm -hmm. in the ways that any one of his characters was was experienced the dismantlement of life or the the being taken apart by the universe itself. It was quite abstract, Uh, marvelous multi-syllabic adjectives uh, that essentially meant, well, this vague nebulous thing was uh, affecting
0: me in unspeakable ways. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) yeah. uh... (laughs) yeah. And so, it, it, yeah, Lovecraft is really good at that sort of thing. And there's lots of other... Um, Poe was good at it. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, there's different authors that can... And then on the other hand, you have um, Franz Kafka. It was almost kind of at the inverse. Like, he mm-hmm. wrote these long novels that led to this different kind of horror where it was almost... This very specific, you have like the trial or the castle or something where he very specifically goes through each small phase of a character's life and greatly dismantles it. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But it's almost the same sort of thing. Beyond it all, there's the castle or there's the judge or somebody that you never see. And never has any direct impact, but there's always these things coming down from them that influence the character's life. Yes, and it is sort of that same way. You might as well replace the castle or the judge or whoever it is with with God or um, you know what is beyond, right? The beyond, yeah. and that's yeah. that's sort of the if we get into what elements constitute awe. Um, there's that there's that something that's beyond, and so let's let's look at that. Mm-hmm. My big question about this, what elements constitute awe, is yeah. do we have to have mystery for, for us to have awe? I Ooh. think so. I so, really do. Yeah, and I, and I think so, really too. Yeah. Um, I think we should, we should go into it a little bit, though, because there are, are things that can constitute awe that aren't really all that mysterious. And so that sounds a little bit contradictory, but let's <laughs> think about it. So, yeah, let's do an example. Works of art, for instance. There's a cathedral. A cathedral was constructed with human hands. It's not something that's beyond humans. Um, maybe it took more than one person, you know, mm-hmm, different types, mm-hmm. artists, you know, architects, engineers, all different types of people. But it was constructed by people. But still, you might walk into a cathedral and feel oh. That's that was what, what it were supposed to, to do. That's right. what it's designed to do. So, so it's it's huge. So that that vast
1: space up in the dark above the the uh, the arches uh, is to suggest space itself is to suggest, or the spiritual space of the heavens where where God is ensconced. Mm-hmm. You know that the, the Sistine Chapel has amazing things in it. I haven't seen it in person, but we've all seen. I think many of us have seen mm-hmm. the, the pictures, and most of us maybe have walked into even a small chapel, churches. Don't accomplish this architecturally in the sense of an, an, especially current constructed churches, and that's not bashing. It's just it doesn't these these designs, these medieval designs, uh, were to make us realize how small we are mm. and the mystery of what's up there in the dark. So that mystery is
0: there in right. in the architectural art. Yeah, and so and I mean you can look at the same thing. A lot of these human constructed influences of awe. Whether it's a music piece of music or a painting or something, it's constructed by people, Mm -hmm. but there's still mystery there. So which leads to an interesting kind of line of reasoning. So if something if we agree that awe must have an element of mystery, but we also agree that human-designed works can influence awe, then can somebody awe themselves? <laughs> That's interesting. Oh, you
1: ask the best questions.
0: All right,
2: so yes,
1: yeah. yes, okay. So let's use an example from each one of us to the degree we want to play with it, however briefly. But uh, I've, I've told you many times that I that I uh, take art lessons, and I've. Uh, been learning more about uh, a number of different things very eclectic but i've been learning and but i occasionally will create something that stuns me that is not to say that i created and say oh (laughs) look at this piece of work that's going to be in a museum no it's not it's for me uh it's for maybe uh, one or two pairs of eyes that may see it but the point is and I've said this, talked to my uh, teacher about this many times. as an old friend, but who's teaching me. She's, she's, I recognize that it is beyond what I thought the piece would be. There are elements that take me out of myself and into the subject matter in ways that occasionally either make me lose my, just for a moment, take a hesitant breath, or look ahead and say, "Wow, you know, you actually caught just a just a, a bit of what light really does." Which is not to say there can't
0: be. Yeah, you know, one one learns, one keeps going. But you it's were, almost accidental, right? Yeah, because that's the thing is, you know, with with art, it seems no matter what kind of art you set out to do, and I'm not sure if this is true of the masters. I saw a recent article about, you know, they discovered a Da Vinci painting where there's um christ holding a uh, a glass mm. orb and the light isn't reflected the way it should be unless the orb is hollow and the glass is less than three millimeters thick or something mm. and there's this debate did da vinci mean to portray it that way because you know he was a master of optics and this stuff so there's no way he could have made this mistake mm. you know or was he trying to portray something else that <laughs> was beyond you know the visual like what was going on there and so it makes you wonder if, if da vinci experienced the same things that we do but i know Artist on your or my level, you know, we're not in control of the end product of our what we start. Anytime we start something, we have an idea of where we want to go, but it never ends up being what we I, set I'm out I'm here to tell to you be. what I learned from my teacher is that really anyone who is
1: totally involved in it doesn't absolutely know the end point either. Da Vinci quite probably did not know the end point. And Da Vinci was a human being. And so, of course, see, I, I think this is what we do in the 21st century, particularly. And I'm going to sound really strange if any of my students ever hear this because I'm, you know, I teach science writing and this kind of thing, but but both sides of the brain, you know, stereotypically are functioning. If we have this tendency, this sometimes an unnerving, but certainly annoying tendency to reduce everything to data points. So, we'll talk about the millimeter, and then it's fascinating to talk about how thick that glass is supposed to be with the orb, as you described. But we do whatever is within our power sometimes uh, to reduce to controllable elements things that are truly beyond us. This happens in my profession all the time, when you have people who are so obsessively trying to make writing instruction, as in one example, uh, a science. -hmm. Or a business education as business, as commodification, that there's no room for the discussion anymore of, well, how do I know? It's like saying, "How do I know that it's good art? You know what? When you see right. it, right? Well, how do I know this is better writing? Well, I can say that it has vocabulary, but it's not about multisyllabic vocabulary all the time. It's not about consulting a thesaurus and throwing things together. It's about the very essence of the sentence. Essence itself isn't is, a, is a, a vague word, mm. right? but people don't like that." Give me a rubric. Let me break, break it down into f- multiple columns. So to sh- to how can I replicate that? What can I do, people say, in writing to fix it? Artists don't always think in terms of fixing something. They may go... My, teachers, you, you, you go with what you've done. Maybe you've made something that you didn't want to have happen. Well, you've got a choice. You can throw it out or you can say, how do I work with this?
0: Mm. Yeah, I was... Listening to a really fascinating um, discussion by Alan Watts, mm, talking mm, about um, you know how in the twentieth and twenty first century um, humanity has taken to trying to define everything in terms of structure and not form, and so as the telescopes looked at things smaller and smaller you know, the telescopes looked at things bigger and bigger and the microscopes looked at things smaller and smaller. Mm -hmm. What they kept finding is that you'd find more and more structure. And so the natural human instinct was to say, well, what is that made up of? What is, you know, what is an atom made up of? Well, what is a quark made up of? Well, what is a, you know, or, you know, well, what's beyond this and this and the other thing? And and his, you know, the takeaway from was he said, there's always going to be more structure. You'll never find the end of it. And the reason is because you're the universe. It's the universe trying to look at itself. <laughs> and he said, what happens if you try to look at the back of your own head, you turn and it turns away from you. you know? And so, <laughs> yes, you're, you know, it wise. doesn't, you know, you'll yeah. never, you'll never see it. And, and he said that that's really a, um, a distortion of Western language, you know, it, cause it's all predicated on the idea that a verb needs a noun. Yeah. You know, but if, but if you look at it, you know, you say, it's raining, you know. Well, what's raining? Nothing is raining. It's just rain. Yeah. Rain is happening. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, it's the same thing. People are just peopling, you know. Like, there's a,
1: <laughs> yes. There, there's no there's Students no Students are studenting. <laughs> you that words sometimes to wash people's eyes when you say, I hope you're studenting well today.
0: Okay. <laughs> so that brings up a really sort of mind-bending idea. Awesome, but it's kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's kind of important, right? Because we realize you and I—we've done a show on language, and we've done a show on um, a lot of these different things. Uh-huh. And what you realize is that Oz—it it is rooted in that the very fabric of our concepts. And so, if our language is based around a noun and a verb, then no wonder when we see action, we feel like we must attribute that action to a subject. Yeah. And that might not necessarily be true. You know, the entire universe may be form and not so much structure. The very ontological, much like, They're very much like, 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 people like you're like, saying. You know, I, if I if I start, I can I can watch or read all kinds of courses on songwriting and all of the empirical things you can do to improve songwriting. Mm-hmm. But at some level, you just have to write a song. You can't just put together a number of tips and have a song. You know, you need to actually do something. And, and you then, get to a place where you feel like,
1: I here's where I think it and it's, it connects totally with what we're talking about. You get to a place sometimes with your songs. I know you must because you write amazing things. You get to the place where I was. I was working on a poem the other night, way too late. But I'd done some student work, and I thought, okay, I'm writing, uh, and I was basing it on a photograph that I'd taken. That was a sunrise, and there was. Oh, the uh, decrescent moon, it's called, not crescent moon, but decrescent means it's de- declining. And and I thought of that word, and I thought of other words that are s- similar with it, and, and I'm shaping this, and I've read a line, with, no, that's not quite right. And I, other words, down below, space in between, and then you start to grow the, it's like you're putting up plants you don't have a garden yet you're just laying things out how should i put this oh let's shape this should this rhyme i don't often do that when i put that i think it would but it's not going to have the same rhythm in this stanza as this one and you get to the end of it and you're way too tired and so you think you've done something better than maybe you have but but you still recognize if you can read that and say yeah that says something authentic uh, to my experience to my experience with another person, to, to my experience with, with, with sunrise, mm-hmm. as well. It becomes metaphorical and it becomes literal. and and you feel, and you feel it, you, you, I, at least I, you know you must with your song, something, you, you hear yourself sing it, and you come to the end and say, "Yeah, I don't know that I could explain what I just did." Well, mm-hmm. mystery is something that's close to inexplicable, not mystery like the genre of of, of literature but but the, 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 the most definitions of mystery will begin with something one experiences that's almost not able to be explained mm-hmm. that almost is important right um, the sublime now what if, what was your research into the word sublime because that's also related to awesome
0: yeah, yeah, sublime was um <sighs> They're very, very interrelated, but the the sublime tend to be something that was beyond. uh, There's the beyond again. Right. How far beyond? If totally beyond,
1: then perhaps we can recognize it in ourselves, but that would suggest that we can never articulate it. Mm. For beings of speech, that's just a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> like you got to be able to articulate, but you try to articulate it. Well, you try to articulate it with color, with a brush, with a with sculpting, with with writing music bars of music, composing. You're, my son's a composer. You're a composer. You're, you're, uh, with dance my, uh, or with puppetry, as my my daughter does. So all these different forms that you're in uh, the trans. Of the transfiguring in reverse, your experience of the incredible, the unbelievable, into something that manifests in a way that perhaps someone might look at and say, oh, yeah,
0: I kind of get what that is. It sort of raises the question is art, and I mean that art is just a general term, Mm -hmm. music. Poetry and any anything you can consider a form of art is that just our way of trying to express sublime or awesome concepts? Since we instinctually know that we can't linguistically portray them in regular language, I
1: um, my limited experience of it, and I was I teach aesthetics sometimes, but but limited in the sense of one human being. Yes. I mean, the, the thing that drives so many artists, nerds, <laughs> is, is when, when a person will, you'll be at an art uh, dis, uh, display, uh, like Clothesline Art Festival in Rochester perhaps, and, and, and you have labored, you have worked, your work is out there. There's nothing more vulnerable than that. And writing in a classroom is the same way. If a teacher like me says we're all reading each other's work. That's vulnerability. But it's important for the honesty of it. And here's your work. And someone comes along and says, well, what's that supposed to be? Well, I could do that. Or my, my, my grandson could do that in junior high school. Or well, they want $100 for that. But... And it's an insult It's trying to commodify and reduce to, oh, well, it looks like that. Therefore, it's better art. Mm-hmm. I defy you to paint a picture of God and say, it, yeah, it looks like that, which is part of the reason I think that, that, that Islam never does not allow representations right. of God. But, but there's all kinds of ways around that. For uh, uh, Point being that when one reduces any concept to something which is totally, uh, so totally familiar that it has lost anything other than representational Strict representationalism, um, on a superficial level, then that is not awesome. That is skill; it's technical skill, first-rate technical skill. But I wouldn't say it's
0: awesome. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because you know it makes you think that it's almost awe can you know we talked about it structure and form hmm. and. Can you see awe in both of them or does it require a combination or, you know, how does that, because like you were saying, you know, there's definitely, um, people who do hyper-realistic paintings Mm -hmm. or people who are technical geniuses on an instrument or those sorts of things. Yes. and, I think they can, they definitely create things that are awesome. Yeah. And then there's other people, you know, I, I have a recent one. I I never liked listening to Nirvana because I always told myself, well, they suck. And I think I'm, I'm starting to have a new appreciation for them because what I'm realizing is no Kurt Cobain knew he sucked, (laughs) but that wasn't what it was about. You know, he was completely form over function. He wasn't worried about being a technical, a technical guitar wizard. As a matter of fact, He's completely against it. He would, on purpose, use just junk gear and not tune his guitars because he was trying to create something that was different from what everybody else was Mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, some people can look at that as being slightly pretentious or, or however you want. But the fact of the matter is, like you talked about, if you're in an art gallery or whatever, if you're not the artist, you don't really have the authority to make that kind of judgment. You know? You can talk about form, right? you
1: can talk about the constituent elements, you you can be trained to recognize. People can be taught to understand why something is beautiful with the the word capital B, and thus get it intellectually, but still not necessarily feel it. This is, I think, what partly Burke was talking about, with with the the, reason, using reason in the face of, of nature. That's not what the Romantics were doing, though. The, the capital R Romantics, the, the painting, the, uh, the Hudson Valley School of Painting. And I, I think it's good we've gone to art because it's a it's a common thing, right? Yeah. So, so, Romantic painting was saying, look at the vastness of the world. Look how tiny you are. So, you'd have these remarkable mountainsides. Uh, you'd have these you know, huge rivers and outcroppings of rock, and there'd be one person with a little walking stick standing on there, and, um Which is sort of akin to an Old Testament verse... Uh, where God is, is con- <laughs> confronting a, a, a human being and, and essentially says, uh, where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Well, that's what the romantic painting, even wh- whether it's trying to be spiritual, or it's not that it's locked into a religious tradition, but it's showing us the foundations of the world. World read as universe, not just as, right, right. as planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just in that one line there's a, a a an example of sublimity,
0: yeah, and I think there there's probably a lot of people at this point are like, When did this become an aesthetics conversation? <laughs> you know? but it really is because that's what awe is about awe is about value judgments we're trying and you know, and mm-hmm. it's a very important point that not everybody places the same value or the same judgment on what a value is, you know I remember. You know, one of the most powerful cinematic moments that I've seen is, you know, the last scene of 2001 A Space Odyssey. Mm. I remember very clearly Mm. one time I had waited until my wife was out of the house to watch it for this very reason. She came home during the last 15 minutes of the movie and said, what is this? (laughs) Yep, (laughs) yep, yep, yep. There was no awe. There was no, uh, you know. Total puzzlement. Right, right. And, you know, and so... And I can tell you right now, watching the whole movie did not help either. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it just goes to show there's very different reasons, mm-hmm. or very different things that might inspire awe. Um, I don't think that my wife has no appreciation for the sublime. Of you know, it's just no, no. so different things will trigger it for different people. Um, and so that's, that's where the aesthetics comes in, you know, trying to, trying to figure out, well, what is it that, that does that? What elements constitute it? We've gone over mystery Mm -hmm. and we've sort of talked about how um, we've talked about the human aspect of it and we've, we've talked about fear a little bit and how, you know, I I think that the original um, idea of awe was more fear inspired, but I think that there still is that, that edge to it nowadays. And this was a big, this was a big topic of it in philosophical history was that some philosophers put forth that you cannot feel physical fear and awe at the same time. And I kind of side with them. I think you can feel an intellectual um, dread or fear Mm -hmm. or reverence. Reverence I think is the better word, but I think that if you're feeling physical fear or danger, I think your mind shuts that part off, the awe part. You know, if you see these giant crashing waves out and you can feel awe, but if you are on the boat in the giant crashing waves, I don't think that you feel it anymore. I think it becomes – there's something the, else. The, you know? the
1: sublime terror. This is what Poe was talking about.
0: Yeah, that
1: that, that that's a marvelous example of Paintings of oceans are great. And I love walking next to the ocean, the water. I mean, do I want to see a 30-foot high wave and be on the boat with it? No, I'd be seasick and, and think we're going to drown. So, the, but the f- just the fear of the, the horror writers, um, and, and, and not just that, the, the eschatology, which is the study of, of, of death um, and, and death rituals and so on, uh, the, the, it's sublime. To realize that you will be taken apart. Sublime is not gentle, kind, and initially, sublime itself was raw. Confrontation with the raw vastness, hmm. and and so fear um, in, in, uh, in uh, with Lovecraft, uh, with Poe, with, uh, with Frankenstein, with with Mary Shelley, fear was. Confronting the irreducible, overwhelming of certainty
0: of dissolution, of, of disappearing, of death. So to clarify, um, these, these writers, as a reader, we can experience awe, but if we were the subjects in the books, would we be able to experience We'd be it? experiencing sublime the sublime
1: terror and dread. It would be awe of the Norse kind. It would not be awe of the 21st century. Um, uh, cute, wonderful. We got it under control. But isn't this great?
0: Kind. Right. Huh. Yeah, it's interesting. It makes you. It makes you wonder if you put yourself. If you put yourself in the shoes of these characters, you know. <laughs> That's precisely it. If you, you're
1: not just oh, I'm safely in my. I mean. You know the experience. Many, most people, I think, probably do who read. Um, I say that because a lot of people don't anymore. But, but, but most, you're in the book quite literally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You are not in your own space. You you come back out of it somehow. Time has passed. If that book has been so engrossing, you have been living with the the sublimity or whatever the the particular feeling is. Um, the sublime is not an emotion. The sublime is an experience. Right. And we talked about emotions, right? So, uh, so yeah, it's it's a it's about living it through these characters. That's why the the, the safety of you know the the metacognitional where people is well, I'm going to talk about uh, the very thing that I'm experiencing. Well, well, look at those special effects. Or, well, I hate it when people do that mm-hmm. in movies. Yeah leave it alone go away this is why i like to watch dvds at home because don't mess with my experience <laughs> and yet you know when people watch something and they are actually responding with tears with laughter with oh no they they've totally accepted it they they are in that moment and i think that's why people go to horror films or yeah. read or novels, it's go ahead, scare me. Don't just scare me. I dare you to scare me so much that I don't even want to get off the couch because somebody might be in my house. Right.
0: <laughs> right? So, let's... I'll, I'll postulate something. We have awe and we have the sublime. Yeah. It would appear, based on our conversation so far, that awe can be something experienced Within an individual, but the sublime is something outside that you must have an interaction with. Hmm. I'm sure I can just hear voices of my my teachers.
1: I like putting you done. I like putting
0: you in these in these situations where (laughs) where I said go hmm. Somebody's Hmm." gonna jump on you if they hear this and you make uh, (laughs) a (laughs)
1: wrong. Well, you know, you've got this whole. um, not pedigree, but provenance of, the, uh, provenance of the, the, the trail of what you've learned, and you want to be as true to it as you can, knowing full well that your, your mentors would say, well, you're, you're, you've messed that one up, didn't you? Um, I, we say the sublime. We put the definite article with it. Therefore, it's something um, recognizable from without. But fuses from within. I mean, if you're if you're dissolving into the experience, you are not separate from it any any longer. You you are becoming the constituent elements of the universe. Hmm. Um, and if you look at a painting that draws you that that thirty foot tidal wave or whatever it is that that for a moment you are just caught up with the the light and the the and the, your mind is generating the sound, and and oh, see that, that oh experience. That's awe. Uh, that is being one with the sublime. That is being affected by the sub, sublime. But I think this is true of relationships. We can move. We can move outside of art, and we if we get really. Uh, you have connections with human beings and sometimes you have that the rare and wondrous uh, interaction. This doesn't have to be a romantic interaction. This, so that, that Someone uh, doesn't frighten you necessarily, but the fact that of, of their being, this is ontological, their being uh, in the sphere of your own being um, that you revere them, I mean, what does reverence mean? Reverence doesn't mean just um, oh honoring. I'd uh, say, oh well, I revere you because I like you. To, to, reverence suggests a power beyond yourself, a kind of fear as well as as any uh, any equality because you see the power of that individual. Um, you look in someone's eyes and 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 you are taken away, perhaps romantically or perhaps just out of a sense of, of friendship or out of a sense of mutuality, uh, you can see that they are fully alive. And some of the things that they've seen and, may t- and they tell you what they've seen. This is why we read memoirs. This is why you have t- tell me the story of what you've experienced. And if you tell it well enough, I'm going to say, oh, my gods, that's reverence. That is sublimity. Um, That is, people would want me to do shutting up for a moment (laughs) and saying, I don't have words. People tell you things about their lives and you say, I I just, and and they know that you're feeling empathic and you're also feeling like, I just, I don't have words to
0: to encompass what you've gone through. So let's go to let's let's have that that discussion then so i i alluded to it at the beginning um you know there's kant who says that awe or the sublime is the ability to rationally understand something outside of what we can conceptualize it, you know in other ways mm-hmm. emotionally and whatnot and then you have um Burke and some others, um, who would say that, no, the sublimer awe is something that you cannot rationalize, but it's the act of stretching your imagination to try to understand something that you can't actually rationally comprehend. Where do you land on that argument? The, I think the Burke hand.
1: Yeah, I, 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 For for ethics, no one beats Kant for me and what he was trying to accomplish. But but for this, I think to Burke him because that reaching out, just think for a minute. How many different, whether it's TV, movies, pieces of art, or whatever, where you wanted to touch? Or, in fact, a character... What happens in any kind of uh, whether it's horror or science fiction or whatever, where a character sees something strange, the the closet door is starting to melt, and you and yourself say, "Run!" (laughs) (laughs) What are you doing? And they're going, "I want to touch this. What's going on?" And if it's done well, that's honest. Mm -hmm. Every rational element of one's being might say, "Go now." I've never seen anything like this before. And we're, and we're sort of doing this, this uh, quick mental, perhaps, negotiation with the universe, which is meaningless. We, we think we're, we have this, this contract, and we don't. <laughs> so I'll watch this. I'll appreciate it, and you'll let me live. Maybe not. Mm-hmm. That's what the horror fiction does It's really serious. Yeah, you may see this incredible thing. And then the alien gobs you up. Uh, you, you, you may see this vast... Nietzsche said, if you look into the abyss long enough, the abyss begins to look back into you. And that's sublime. Mm. The Imp of the Perverse, which was uh, uh, a concept going back into earlier horror, uh, the, 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 the Castle of Otranto and things are gothic fiction... Um, and the imp of the perverse uh, was uh, articulated by Poe as well of others, which is that little voice that says, jump, mm. feel it, see what this feels like. And, and I'm not in any way romanticizing that, but it's there in our heads. And that's an, a sublime and terrible. I think most of us could, if we were really honest, would say sometimes if at the edge of, of, of Letchworth Park uh, at the Great Bend, <clears throat> And you look at how many people violate the signage and, and sense, <clears throat> climb over the, on top of the, the, the wall or over it, not even beginning to think how far back underneath that wall has been gouged out. Right. Knowing that there are hundreds of feet and pointy trees down below.
0: <laughs> but they go out anyway. What are they doing? Yeah, there's no rational explanation for it it's that i think it is stretching your imagination you want to look over the edge and you want to imagine you you almost want to imagine and nobody i don't think rationally nobody wants to feel what it's like to jump off no and get smashed into the ground but somewhere you kind of want to imagine what it's like to fall through the air and and sort of feel that, you know, you want to look down and, and, and imagine it. You so know? That, that voice,
1: that not, not, I'm not talking about mental health issues. I'm talking about but the, the recognition of that. What do we say it is to live? What do all the advertisements, even they, they trivialize it so often, not all, but, but some do this. You know, don't just drive, drive fast. I mean, that's, a, that's an old concept since back to, well, not since back to the beginning of cars. People thought they were going to be... Suffocated if they drove over like thirty miles an hour. You right, just yeah. can't do that. Are you? <clears throat> but then you find out you can. You know, what's uh, what's life if it's not being all you can be? But being all you can be means also being
0: all you might not survive.
2: Right.
0: And so it's like you said before: <clears throat> it's just nature, when you're saying, "Yeah, you get to see great things," but then maybe that's it maybe yeah, <laughs> that's it. it and so yeah it it brings you to an interesting place and when i think about it, it it kind of reflects a lot of the conversation we've had so far you know we've gone back and forth between these sort of yin and yang of rationality and imagination mm-hmm. or form and structure or all of these things and i think that awe mm-hmm. and the sublime is really that edge point it's the event horizon of the black hole mm-hmm. everybody mm-hmm. wants to know what's beyond it but you you can't or that's that's the end of you so it's just getting to that point where you you want to see you know you want to see all right well and I think that it it can be it can be the form and it can be the structure you know because yeah. there's something awesome about the scientific um revelations about the structure of, absolutely you know, and yeah. uh, but then there's the form aspect of it too or just in its without thinking of anything of what it's made up of or whatever you know there, there's the black the event horizon telescope picture that came out last mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. amazing and, picture yeah you just look at it and you look at it if you look at the structure of it it doesn't there's nothing real awesome about it it's a fuzzy Black circle with a, an orangish red ring around it, but it's that stretching of the imagination yeah. but you're it's the combination you're stretching the imagination just taking in what it is you're looking at, but then there's all of the structure of not just your scientific knowledge about what a black hole is, but the scientific knowledge of the experts that put in the terabytes of data and the thousands of hours of man work to achieve it
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it's the combination it's not it's not the combination of the the two each one sort of stands on its own um but the combination of the two really makes it and it's,
1: yeah. it's if you look at that
0: picture and you can't feel the the
1: at once the dread of the power of such a natural formation <laughs> and the Appreciation for the the the, it, the very the presence of it. <laughs> um, there's an implied threat with black holes, right yeah. there. But there's but oh, but that's far away, so I'm kind of safe. Well, but maybe not. And, yeah. and you know, if we have one at the center of our own galaxy, and 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 and. But how do? We, but you think of the 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 common terminology for these things? Monster. And giant, and and all of those terms that used to be used for mythological explications of the universe,
0: and now we're coming back to them. I yeah. don't know if we ever abandoned them, but we we're we're back to them. Yeah, I just watching Interstellar last week, and they have the Gargantua, the the black hole. Yeah, and it is, you know, it's it's that kind of thing where we're getting we're getting to it. You know, mm-hmm. like we talked about the original purpose of it. You know, it's. There's the mystery and there's the fear and there's the wonder and And the reverence. And there's that's right. There are the other two parts, the wonder and the Mm reverence. So it took us 50 minutes, but I think that we got to the essence of what awe is. (laughs) Not bad. (laughs) So why do we experience it? What is what's the and again, we you don't like talking about purpose. What is the purpose of awe? Why do we why would we experience it?
1: It's not that I don't like talking about it, Joel. I just don't think that that uh, I'm I'm not teleological. I don't <laughs> look at something and say, "Oh, well, what's the point of that?" or "Was what What's its purpose?" But that's not my first thing. But it's okay. Why would we have? Uh, what What would we be without being able to be flattened by moments
2: of realizing?
1: what we are and what we aren't. <laughs> oh, uh, what you just described with that black hole, what, what would it be if we were not even interested in trying to understand the universe? There are people who want us to be that way. I've encountered students who said, oh, well, well, uh, everything that we don't understand that that's that's God's or whatever, and so it's just a, you know we we don't worry about it, we just don't worry about it. don't worry, be happy just <sighs> and I wonder sometimes if people who say those things even begin to understand what awe sublimity, awesomeness really is mm. uh, and i'm not I'm not trying to preach to people who are of. Of, of religious focus, but I'm just saying, if you, just as one example, if you can look at a black hole, an event of the, 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 and say, well, there's nothing to do with me, that's way too far away. If, you know, if anything ever happened with that, I'm going to be long gone. You're totally dismissing, you're running away from by dismissing. Not interested, not curious. To abandon curiosity is to abandon awe.
0: So so that's for me. If you want a purpose, that's its purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I that think climate change is kind of a big one right now. Mm. You see some of the policies being enacted. And I think that not the explicit. I, I think the explicit reasoning behind it is for economic reasons. Mm-hmm. But I think the implicit excuse that nobody wants to talk about is that a lot of the people making some of these um environmentally negative policies um the attitude is that i'm going to be gone if there are any consequences uh, yep you know and like you're saying it it does it kind of makes you think well then all isn't really a thing and it, you know there's i like seeing astrobiological sort <laughs> of um, <laughs> postulations on these things i remember he- hearing an astrobiologist talk one time about how You know, a lot of, there's probably a lot of worlds out there that can support life. Yeah. And there's nothing to say intelligent life couldn't evolve in in water. A lot of these plants are completely water-based. But they said, none of, if, even if that happened, they wouldn't be able to see the sky. So they might not know that there's outer space or there's anything beyond it. So they would have no reason to explore or develop technologies that would contact anybody or do anything. Yeah. And that entire idea kind of blew my mind a little Mm, bit. Like, mm -hmm. if we, let's say that we were able to survive in the water, we had our little, you know, imagine an Atlantis civilization, you know, whatever. We wouldn't have an awe of a black hole or or even an awe of other planets with other, you know, species. Like, that might not be a concept that would ever occur to us. Unless. uh, And this would be an experience of horror
1: and terror which is what we do whenever we go fishing, (laughs) to yank something out of its element, to bring it into an entirely different uh, place where it cannot survive. Imagine the horror of something yanking us out of this into another, just like that. (laughs) Suddenly we're yanked out. We can't. Breathe. We don't know what's going on. It's an entirely new dimension. Uh, put me back. Put me back. Put me back. But once you go back, you can't not know that that was out there, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, if you're if you're a nice and civil this is, I think, in some ways, what's happening to our our civilization, um, or perhaps to more narrowly our own society. We wanted to think nothing can touch us. Nobody can touch us. We're fine. But you know, we're just in this nice bubble. We just want to be in a bubble. We want to build walls. We want to build, just just keep me enclosed. Can't happen anymore. Mm -hmm. Probably never could have, but it's certainly, you know, and and so, yeah, things are scary. Things are immense. (laughs) Australia is burning. You want to come to climate change. Ask people there on the coastline about what awe is. Uh, I, I, because you you hear words like that in in the interviews with people who are who are surviving this or you see well you just see an image the polar ice cap's not there mm. <laughs> there's chunks the glacier park won't be glacier Park except in name within less than twenty years now apparently i've walked on a glacier that will no longer exist. Does that mean the end of the universe? No heavens no. <laughs> Earth will go on even if we were all gone and 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 some of us will survive, but it is dreadfully sublime if one looks at it eyes on and says, "I can't run away from this
0: right yeah, and it makes you it makes you wonder is is odd diminishing in modern times or is it being changed into <laughs> something else? And, you know, I, like I said, I, I watched interstellar this week and there's just a number of, of fantastic lines in that movie that, that yes. describe exactly the problems that are facing 21st century world. Yes, there are. Um, you know, at one point, his, speak his, yeah, his, <laughs> his father-in-law says the world didn't run out of flat screen TVs. It ran out of food, you know, mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, the main character says, we used to look up in the sky and think about our place in the stars. And now we just look into the, we look at the ground and wonder about our place in the dirt, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that, those are important, important sort of questions or, you know, statements when we're talking about awe in modern times. And like you said, you know, I think that the human, what is the human predisposition? I guess that's the question we're trying to get at is, is the predisposition to find that comfort zone and try to live within it and avoid awe, uh, or the sublime at all costs? Or is it to venture out and try to experience that uncomfortability? What do you think the natural disposition is? I think the natural disposition is what you just
1: described, to, to venture. Uh, and I promise not to try to wax nostalgic because we talked about it <laughs> too. Um, but it seems to me that there is has been a multi-layered training in our culture, in our culture, and I, 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 I can't speak planet wide, but in our, because of the, plan, the rest of the planet is doing something, some things, but not to be curious, not to ask questions, keep your head down, just do what you're supposed to, you know. And I'm not saying that it hasn't always been there, but most of our pop cultural images of, let's say, going to space, are much less optimistic now than they used to be, couched in terms of corporatism and, and imperialism. And and, and, uh, and so, I, yeah, I think that we have collectively been working at trying to diminish the exterior awe in our next generations. Not all of us, some of us very much actively trying to say, what are we doing? But I, I I think if you look at curricula of, and you're in education, you really, how, how curricula are designed, well, let's just not make it controversial. Let's not scare people. Let's just... Uh, If you look at the challenges of reading levels, and and reading levels continue to decline, the capacity of people to read when they leave high school now is much diminished compared to what was 25, 30 years ago in our culture. So, And and when you have fewer words, that doesn't mean you can't experience the sublime. But the terror may well completely outweigh the,
0: yeah, that's frightening,
1: let's go there. (laughs) <laughs> you know, if you're at the, you know, that's frightening, let's not even, then the curiosity is gone. Mm. And our ancient tales, oh, often warlike, I mean, the Odyssey with the first and biggest in some ways, right? Or Beowulf.
2: Mm. Yeah, they're very yeah, violent, yeah.
1: right? Okay. But a monster came up, bird yourselves into this place, Beowulf, <laughs> All right? Uh, somebody comes along and says, you need help with a monster? Yeah. There's going to be prices to pay and and, and and death and lingering consequences, but there's also illumination. And we don't tell as many stories about that. Uh, it's often about defensiveness, <laughs> overcoming us because we can be in control of anything if we're just uh, masculine enough and muscular enough and have enough weapons, we can deal with anything. Um, and science fiction has proven that wrong over and over again. Right. But, so I think we ha- it's in us to be curious. I think we're working really hard to try to make people not.
0: Yeah, and I think, that, I think it is our approach to education. Um, you know, you think about it, and if you really get philosophical, I think that the purpose of education is sort of like a sandbox for life. Mm -hmm. or it should be Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you education should you should approach a topic and say yeah look this is scary or this is the unknown here's how you explore it here's how you understand it here's how you make use of it and maybe you'd never master it maybe maybe you don't become you don't own it Mm -hmm. you know but you come to explore it you come to interact with it and it leads you on to other explorations and other interactions. Try this, right? right. The triness of it is being removed,
1: right? From from state education, certainly. Uh, uh, what happens with with the, some of the most important trial? My son's a music teacher. Uh, my daughter's an artist. You're an education. You, you, you young, younger folks. But, but if you teach music. I don't want to oversimplify, but essentially it's often referred to as extras. How dare they? How dare you reduce the essence of art to an extra? Because what does that imply? Oh, it's not necessary. What's really necessary? You know, and and when we look at what's really necessary, and then we say in the college curriculum, for instance, well, t- you can't, the state's giving you student X uh, some uh, financial aid, or the federal government is and therefore we insist that you we, we will not pay for any class that has nothing to do with your specific choice of career and by the gods you better choose that within your first few months what we're saying is ignore this don't go there we are not interested in helping you be in a sandbox
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's about production. It's yeah. about economy and, and there's commodification. Nothing, there's nothing less sublime or awesome than being a cog in an economic machine. <laughs> um, yeah. So education, um, you know, I I think that the purpose of it should be as a, a you're a training wheels for life. And so you look at it, and yeah. again, in life and in the sublime, we talked about the horror movies and how. Maybe you see something amazing and and maybe you die. Or maybe you see something amazing and you live to tell the tale. Well, the fact is, with life, we never have any of those guarantees. No. But we have to do it anyways. And so, if the attitude of education is, here are the situations that you might face. Here's the ways of exploring them, interacting with them. Here are you know, methods of surviving them, methods of, um, you know, experiencing and being curious and surviving, Mm -hmm. then that's, that's good. But if there's such a fear of failure or an emphasis on success, always success, success or production or, you know, come, you know, these sorts of things, then like you said, the, the curiosity is removed and, it doesn't prepare you to interact with those things. And as a result, what do you get? You get people who watch a continent burn or watch ice caps melt and don't feel any fear or dread or reverence or Mm -hmm. awe Mm -hmm. that the very thing that's giving them life is being destroyed. Well put. (laughs) Wonderfully
1: put. uh, Mechanistically. Mechanistically. It's, it's, it's uh, the, the disconnecting the feeling part. It's numbing. We, we have, and that and there are so many practitioners in education and indeed in every field uh, who are fighting this in all kinds of ways now. But, the, you know, the real, you yeah, know, I haven't talked with my son the other night, the, the, the real Challenge is to not be always overwhelmed by the biggest of pictures. There's awesomeness in a a child saying, Oh, I didn't know I could make that bar of music. That's equally sublime in the individual's development to seeing El Capitan for the first time (laughs) in Yellowstone. Uh, It's the small interactions. It still matter the most, because if you can feel awe in being able to create a music, a piece of art or something and 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 you can still feel it even if somebody says, well what's that supposed to be? <laughs> and you can know inside it's not supposed to be anything it is it is a thing that I've created which means something more, and maybe a, a young one can't articulate it that way but but if they have that then that mundane pedestrian, well, it's supposed to be something. If I can't tell what it is, it's it's not worth anything. That that mechanistic, that, that machine business thing. Um that won't survive if there can be no feeling of that other, well, I've just made this because they told me to make this today. And so, <laughs> so to speak. Um Yeah, that's not that's not a pretty picture with with that, but I think there are enough people that are trying to change that. And maybe, if we survive the sublimity the sublimity of the universe itself and what the consequences of what we've done, then maybe we will be more or be less
0: numb, yeah and it. It's funny. There's there's a show that me and my wife watch. The Good Place. It's called. Yes, which is very. It's very philosophical in its own uh, fun sort mm-hmm. of way. Um, but the most recent episode that they just had, you know, they finally reach this place, and what they find is that everybody's zombies <laughs> because they have just a sort of hedonistic numbness. They there's no end, and so for eternity they have whatever they want and eventually it you try all the things that you want to try and you have all the things you want to have and then there's it's essentially no better than anything else you know and that raises and this their solution to it is that if there's a notion of the end, that's what gives the whole thing purpose. And so they create this door that you can walk through and that's the end of your existence. Hmm. You know?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And what they found is that whether or not people wanted to walk through the door, having the option to do so gave the things that they were doing in the present more enjoyability. And so if you extrapolate that into real life, what, it, what you're looking at is that we're all going to die. And so that endpoint, that termination, is what gives meaning to what we do now. And that's what gives us a feeling of the sublime or awe. Mm-hmm. If we were infinite immortal beings, if we figured out death, you know, we could become an intergalactic species, an inner you know, we could travel the universe, we could see all the things, eventually we'd figure out solutions to all kinds of problems, and our sense of awe or the sublime might completely disappear, you know. Mm-hmm. and so it shows why that fear or that reverence is an important part of it because yeah. if you don't have that eventually things are just going to become bland you know, and what like. is that,
1: I'm going to, that you, think you said that when now you've, you've given me something you don't have to go there but I'm, I'm going to put it on you and say okay another time <laughs> then what is the essence of the being to whom all reference is supposed to be given. The being who was all knowing.
0: right. (laughs) Right. And so, yeah, it creates, um, it creates an interesting, uh, sort of idea of what, who God is Mm -hmm. or, and that's where I, that's one of the places I wanted to go in This was, um, you know, is, is, uh, Is awe the origin of religion? Is that where religion came from? Was the notion of awe? Did somebody experience awe and then that's where religion developed from? Or? There are philosophers who say that, who have said,
1: uh, you're familiar with it, that that, uh, if God didn't exist, we would have had to invent Mm -hmm. God. Well, why? Because. We don't want things to be utterly out of control. That's certainly one thing. It's not the only reason right? why. Because we want there to be purpose embedded in the universe. Because if we had to, f- it, and some people do, some people say, well, nope, the universe is random. You now, this is why Nietzsche uh, bothered people, among other, many other reasons, was, you know, the universe doesn't care, <laughs> right? This is what Lovecraft was tapping into. Right. It, 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 there, he didn't have a worked out the, the Cthulhu mythos that people often talk about. As if it was this grand scheme that he laid out and tried to. He wasn't. He wasn't working from a, a a chart on the on the wall. His interest was in trying to convey the utter sublimity of the horror of a materialistic, as not materialistic with the way we understand the word, but it's just a universe that has no designs on us. Maybe some of the old beings walked the earth and wanted to walk that earth and didn't want people around, but it wasn't like, oh, the universe is going to care about you. So, if the universe doesn't care about you, and you're you're existentially, your agency is, well, then I have to make my own meaning. Mm -hmm. There's
0: an awesomeness in that, too. Yeah, so... You look at it, and really, what defines the difference between horror or a benevolent positive religion or a completely unsettling philosophy is the perspective of the unknown. So if you are just... If, if the unknown is something that's terrifyingly, incredibly beyond you and powerful and it has a malignant um, attitude towards you, that's horror. Mm -hmm. And if it has a benevolent attitude towards you, that's religion. And if you're just a flea on a dog that doesn't (coughs) know you exist, then that's unsettling because nouns need verbs (laughs) and form needs structure. And, Mm. We the yin needs yang. We have these ideas and it's all embedded in language. And this is really bringing us to what I think will be a lot of other interesting topics that I've thought about in the past. And I think we're going to end up doing, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, a dive into perspective, you Mm -hmm. know, a dive into, um, you know, possibly philosophizing about philosophy itself, the very idea of it. A meta That's meta Right. That's, yeah. Some of these topics. So we'll probably get <laughs> into them um, in the in future shows. Good. But um yeah, until next time, thanks for listening and keep on. Living.